One of my closest friends, Toby, used to be an agronomist. When I met him, I didn't know what an agronomist was. He's now a Presbyterian minister, incidentally. But back then, I asked him, and it turns out an agronomist is an agricultural scientist who works out the best ways to increase the yield of a farmer's crop. An agronomist develops methods for protecting the crops from weeds, pests, and harsh climates. If there's a problem with a crop, an agronomist will spend several hours examining the crop, looking for signs as to whether there's a sign of disease, an insect problem, a weed issue, or even a problem with the soil, and then implement the change to increase the harvest. Now, at first glance, this parable of the sower and the seeds appears to be talking about farming. It's a simple story about seeds being scattered in the field by a farmer. Yet there is so much to this story than farming. This is the story of God's word. He is the farmer and we are the soil. He scatters his word throughout the world and we respond to it in different ways. For while the seed, his word, is the same, we, as the soil, respond to it differently. This world is full of sin, as sad as it may be. And I'm not sure about you, but when I initially read this story recently, I felt sorry for some of the seeds in this parable. For although some fell on good soil and produced a good crop, other seed fell amongst thorns and was choked. Some seed fell on rocky soil, and when the sun shone brightly, it withered and died. And the rest of the seed fell only on the path to be eaten by birds. Yet I should not have felt sorry for the seed and instead felt sorry for the soil, for we are the soil. Now, this story doesn't seem to be a tricky riddle for us 2,000 years or so since it was first told by Jesus. But we see in verse 10 that this story was tricky for many in the crowd as the meaning was lost on them. We see, we see too that this troubles the disciples as they ask Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replies in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not to them. But to them, the crowds, it has not been given. And even more provocatively, later on he says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Verses 12 and 13. Jesus is alluding to the fact here that those who don't understand the kingdom of heaven, as it's described in Matthew's gospel, in Jesus' own teaching, don't understand it because of their intellect, but rather they don't understand it because it has not been revealed to them by God. 
For you see, God is the one who opens the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of some to see and hear and understand. Jesus is alluding in this parable to the fact that God chooses people, and this is the theology of election, which in short teaches us that no one is a follower of God or of Jesus, that no one is a Christian because of their own ability or cleverness. We are not Christians because we are clever. We are Christians because God has chosen us and revealed his kingdom to us. He gives us grace so that we can understand and receive his word as good soil. And if we think about this further, we know that not everything about the Christian faith is a puzzle. For some things are very clear and easy to understand. Consider the Sermon on the Mount earlier and the miracles that Jesus has performed. These things are very clear and very public and easy to understand. People ought to be able to respond to these things easily with faith. But maybe, in particular, the secrets of the kingdom, thinking about Revelation and Jesus' return, is what he has in mind here. If we stop at this point in the text, maybe we could rightly charge God with choosing some and not others. So it's not their fault if they're not part of the crowd that doesn't understand what the story is about. But the flip side of election is that we are all responsible and are guilty if we do not respond with faith. And that is what this parable teaches us. From verse 18 onwards, Jesus explains the parable of the sower and he makes it clear that this is not a story about farming. He is speaking about something much more profound than that. And while there are four categories of soil, there are really only two groups here. One group is comprised of those who are lost and go to hell, and the other is comprised of Christians who go to heaven. Jesus' parable explains the opposition to him and his word and the division in humanity around Jesus. The increasing polarization in Matthew's gospel of Jesus' life and ministry is in part explained by this parable because people's response to Jesus falls into two camps, anticipating, as it were, a division on the day of Jesus' return. Notice the four different scenarios, notice that in the four different scenarios that the same word is spoken to the people. The same seed is sown. And the problem is not with the seed, but rather with the soil, the hearers of God's word. The first group are those who are described as the seed on the path. In verse 4, Jesus said, as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Satan is the bird who comes along and snatches up that seed. 
How does Satan do this? Well, it's a whole manner of ways. And one of Satan's greatest delights is taking people to hell. And this begins when he stops them responding to the word with faith. The quickest way to do this is to snatch it away before it can develop in people's hearts. In verse 5, we read about the second scenario. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. The understanding of God's word for these people who are the rocky soil is so shallow, so little, or so weak and fragile that ignorance takes over. They think they know the gospel when they don't know it at all. Oh, how Satan delights in this. And later we see the result of this ignorance in verse 21. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. Then they are lost. Satan is pleased and they continue to be lost as God's word fails to take root in their life. But the other extreme to trials is just as dangerous too. For if trials often lead to the loss of faith, so too can riches and luxuries in this life. Consider verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is the person who hears God's word, but the worries of life and the luxuries of wealth distract and consume their mind, and before they realise it, their faith is gone. In Matthew 19, Jesus says the following, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. So many Christians lose their faith once wealth arrives. Ah, the freedom to do what you want, your way, on your terms, but at your great loss. When your desires take the place of God, where does he fit? Yet we also need to balance our understanding of election with free choice. God chooses those that he chooses, but we are still responsible for how we receive the word. Follow me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. But when he, Jesus, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Here we find Jesus rebuking the Pharisees who, rather than following God's word, choose to be lazy and disregard it because of their heritage. Jesus warns them that they shouldn't be so arrogant because God is not dependent on them, but rather they are dependent on God. We should heed this warning too, for even though God has chosen us, we are still responsible to bear fruit. We are responsible to love others, to draw near to God, to lay down our life and to carry the cross too. The path that Jesus walked on is not only for him and the disciples, it's also a path for us too. For if it were not so, then why would Paul have written the following in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8? I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So we too, like Paul, are to keep running and dwelling in God's word, praying and meeting with our brothers and sisters in Christ and striving on against sin so that we will be found in God's glorious kingdom at the end of this earthly life. Returning to this parable, we are encouraged to fall into the fourth category, that of good soil. It's not saying to us, that if we're not in that category, oh well, bad luck, there's nothing you can do about it. But rather it's saying, pay attention, get understanding, draw near to God, wake up before it's too late. Don't be flippant with your salvation, don't be flippant with God. So what are you doing to resist Satan? Are you praying for wisdom? Do you praise God? Do you choose to love others? Things like this are how we counter the propensity to be rocky soil. This is how we fight against weeds. This is how we develop a strong foundation in God's kingdom. As we consider the rocky ground, remember, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet this is the plant with no root that endures only for a while and when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Sometimes we think that persecution is good for the church. Well, in this case, it isn't. Because there are many who fall away. They give up the faith for it is all too hard. For them, it is only something for the easy times as they have no roots in God's kingdom. So how do we counter this? Well, we devote ourselves to God so that we can, so that we can endure against persecution, so that we can fight the good fight and run the race and keep the faith. All three categories, whether it's the path, the rocky ground, 
or the thorns, in the end, the outcome is the same. They do not endure in faith. Some die immediately. Some last for a short time. But in a sense, it doesn't matter which of the three types they are, for the outcome is the same, spiritual death. But the fourth category, the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and bears good fruit. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. These are the ones who endure. People like the disciples of Jesus, and hopefully, like you and me. Enduring both through the trials and luxuries in life, through feast and famine, the ultimate test is endurance. The Christian is the one who perseveres to the very end, who bears fruit and endures in faith. So we see the separation of humanity into two groups, those who belong to God and those who ultimately belong to Satan, those who accept God and those who don't. This parable reminds us that we cannot hide behind God's election. We can't say, well, if I don't endure, that's God's fault because he didn't choose me. No, not at all. This parable is provoking us to take responsibility for our salvation. This parable urges us to consider if I will endure in faith. Is God's word bearing fruit in my life? Am I letting him change me to become more like Jesus? Can I resist the temptations of this world? Can I stand firm against the trials of persecution of this world? Will you endure? The Jesus who heals the sick, the one who raises the dead, is worth enduring for. The one who holds the keys to life and death in his hands is worth it. He is treasure beyond anything that this world can offer. For his word alone is life and truth. He and he alone will bring everlasting peace. Amen. Amen.